Fantastic. Hey, uh, I thought I'd keep the, uh, the whole kind of 60th birthday vibe going for Neil. And uh, I'm going to preach a three-point sermon, all right, which was it's kind of old school. I don't do that uh, here now. But Neil, over these 50 years, have you heard a few three-point sermons in, in that time? I thought you might have. So I'm going to preach a three-point sermon, kind of retro preaching style. And uh, what's that? 20 minutes. That's rubbish. Anyway, um, oh, per point. Gotcha. And uh, not only that, see, now note-takers, those of you who are note-takers, you love a good three-point message because it's all like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, okay, so I'm going I'm to throw you a bone. I don't even normally give messages a title. You have to go to our podcast and see, oh, that's what that was called. But going with the retro theme, we're going to give this message a title and three points. Pete, you ready? So this message is called Protect Your Confidence. Write that down. Protect your confidence, Baden. Good work. And this is actually the last time that we're going to be teaching around this conversation we've been having called I Don't Know What I Believe. And we've been looking at just one extract from a letter that Paul, rock star of the early church, wrote to one of the, the kids, one of the teenage boys that he'd been mentoring. He'd set up a church and he'd set Timothy up as the leader of that church. And Paul, whilst in prison at a point in history, wrote Timothy a letter, a letter of encouragement, a letter of instruction. And uh, thankfully, that letter has been captured and is now in the Bible, so we get to read it for ourselves today. So we've been looking at a chunk of that letter. It's from uh, what's now called second, the second letter to Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, chapter 1. So it's like the beginning of the letter. And we've been looking at verses 9 through 14 and just drilling down into some thoughts on each of the last five weeks. We want to finish that with the last sentence from that extract. And here's what Paul wrote to this young church leader named Timothy. He said to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to take three points from that one sentence. You ready? Point number one, vulnerability and value. So you notice here that Paul wrote, guard the good deposit. This was actually a warning that Paul was writing to Timothy. See, you don't need to guard something. Paul was reminding him, you don't need to guard something if it's not worth anything. Paul was reminding Timothy that there's been a good deposit made in your life, a good deposit made in your heart, and you need to guard it because it's of incredible value. I remember about uh, 11 years ago, it was, uh, Louis and I, uh, we were in Italy, uh, staying with her family, village about two hours south of Naples, and uh, this particular day, Louis and I were going to do a little uh, trip of our own, uh, take the train in the morning to Pompeii and do the, the touristy thing around Pompeii. And then in the afternoon, take the, the train over to Naples. Now, Naples is the third largest city in Italy. It's a pretty substantial city, um, a lot of history, but it is crazy. The place is full of crazy people. And Naples, you know, tr they have traffic lights, but obeying them is, is optional. Uh, in fact, the rules are you just don't even obey them. I mean, red, green, ah, it's all the same thing. Just go. And uh, if, the, if the car in front of you should accidentally stop at a traffic light uh, and you're on a Vespa, you just take to the footpath and you just down the footpath and then get back on the road further down. This place is crazy. When, uh, when Italy and the Italian government recently, by the way, 
when the Italian government recently made seatbelt wearing in cars compulsory, recently, a business in Naples came up with the idea of making T-shirts with a black uh, stripe across the front. So you could wear that while you were driving and uh, the police would think that you've got your seatbelt on. It's just lawless. I mean, this is where Louis' family's from. It explains a lot, right? <laughs> so we, we went there, our, our, our trip, and uh, the cousins had warned us. Said, when you go there to Naples, don't wear any watches, don't wear any jewelry. You're going to be walking around, nothing like that. And don't take anything of any value. The problem was that, and this is in the days of the dumb phone, that I had a dumb phone, and so I had to take a camera. I mean, you're not going to go to Pompeii, and you're not going to go to Naples without taking some photos. So I had this really uh, solid um, camera, which at the time was worth a lot. It's an analog camera, so I put it on eBay six months ago for 20 bucks, and uh, nobody bought it. But back then, it was incredibly valuable. So I had a backpack, and so we got into Naples, and I walk out into, from the train station to the main piazza there. And, uh, and, 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 and I had to guard this camera. I mean, we didn't have any watches, jewelry, but I had the camera. I had it in a backpack. And so we, we I mean, you know, oh, my God, we did this. So I stood like this. I put the backpack, you know, around the wrong way on my front. So it's now a front pack. And then Louis backed up to me. And I walked. We walked. I mean, no one would have ever guessed we were tourists. We walked with my hands on her shoulders, with my hands on her shoulders. Um, <laughs> around Naples for hours and hours, purely to guard my camera. You don't need to guard something if it's not worth anything. But not only was Paul warning and reminding Timothy, guard the good deposit in you because it's worth something. He was also reminding Timothy that if something's valuable, it's also vulnerable. If something's valuable, it's also vulnerable. Let me show you a picture. I don't know if you, if you, if you recognize this place. James, you get special credit if you do. It's a nice little kind of, I don't know, uh, parkland, touristy destination in the U.S., some nice green lawn around, some nice sort of streetscapes there that you might be able to, you know, roll a blade around, maybe have a little picnic off to the side. You might not recognize this place, but probably you've heard of it. It's called Fort Knox. And uh, Fort Knox is in the US. It's a fort, hence the name, Fort Knox. Fort Knox is called Fort Knox, and Fort Knox was built in such a way because it has, inside, has 5,000 metric tons of gold bullion. Now, if you don't quite know how much gold bullion that is, that's the equivalent in today's uh, gold rate of about $160 billion worth of gold bullion in there. Now, <clears throat> let's just say, you know, you got a bit of credit card debt, maybe the electricity bill's just dropped and you haven't quite got the cash lying around. You think, I know what I'll do. I'll break into Fort Knox. I probably only need just one of the gold bullion. I mean, they've got so many, they're not going to miss it. So, all right, try that. And I'll give you the instructions how to do that. And I really hope that the U.S. federal government is not listening to this podcast. If you want to break into Fort Knox, here's how you do it. First, you climb the four surrounding fences, two of which are electric. And then you sneak past the armed sentinels lining the perimeter. Be sure to avoid the video cameras. 
Uh, don't waste time trying to blast through the granite walls because they're four feet thick and they're held together with 750 tons of reinforcing steel. If you get past the armed guards inside, plus the maze of locked doors, you'll probably be stopped by the 22-ton vault door. Don't despair. The vault can be opened, uh, but only if you find all the staff members who know a small slice of the combination. You'll need all of them since nobody knows the whole combination. Bring me that knife. Once you get inside the vault, you'll have to break into the smaller vaults tucked inside, and then you can start taking the 5,000 tons of gold bullion stored in there. And do be careful when you leave. Uh, 30,000 soldiers from Fort Knox's military camp will be anxiously awaiting you outside. All right? Now we all know how to break into Fort Knox. Easy. If something's valuable, it's also vulnerable. Paul's reminding Timothy that you are to guard the good deposit. There's something that God has deposited in each and every one of us. The the gift of life, the gift of eternal life. There's purpose, there's destiny, there's calling, there's vision. He's put that on the inside of us. And God wants us to use that. God wants us to take next steps. God wants us to, to, be, to be active in, in using this good deposit. It's not meant to sit dormant. It's meant to be activated. Let me ask you a question. Those of you that realize this, those of you that understand there's a good deposit in you and that God's called you to use it, have you ever, have you ever had that experience when you go to use it, you go to take a next step of faith and the second that you make that decision, you feel like there's been a big target painted on your back and the devil's lining you up? Exactly. Because you're valuable. What's in you is valuable, but that makes you vulnerable. Devil's not lining up people who are just locking the good deposit away and never tapping into it. The devil's looking around for people who want to take next steps. So Paul's reminding us, guard the good deposit. The word that we felt God give us this year for Elevate Church individually and corporately is the word breakthrough. But we need to understand as we pursue breakthrough to go to new levels of faith, new levels of kingdom growth, new levels of vision, new levels of purpose, the devil is not just going to roll out the red carpet and stand back taking shots of us with his camera. He's going to be putting up the defenses and taking shots of us with his armament. And so Paul's saying, don't be ignorant to this. Don't, don't be naive to this. Guard the good deposit. You're valuable, but that is the very reason you often feel vulnerable. Explains a bit, huh? Point number two. See, this is why I don't preach, preach three-point messages. It's like, <clears throat> point number two. It does allow me to take a sip of coffee, though circumstance and confidence. Let me let you in on something that I hope is going to be incredibly valuable to you, incredibly helpful to you. The devil almost always targets your circumstances. You ever had circumstances go horribly wrong? Anyone apart from me? The devil almost always targets your circumstances. Just when you're about to to pay off the final credit card, the car engine dies. Just when you're about to... The devil almost always targets 
our circumstances. But compromising our circumstances isn't actually his ultimate objective. His ultimate objective is to take down our confidence in Jesus. In fact, it's a classic, classic one-two punch combination from the devil. The first punch is him actually trying to convince us that we should put our faith in circumstances. I don't need you to put your hand up, but I bet a few of you have made that mistake in your life. He wants us to put our faith in, in circumstances. And then, that's the first punch. Then comes the second punch, the one-two sucker punch combination. Once we start to put our faith in our circumstances, then the devil starts to attack our circumstances. And if we put our faith in our circumstances and all of a sudden our circumstances go downhill, our faith goes downhill with it. Circumstances and having faith in circumstances, it's a roller coaster ride. We actually can't control a lot of our circumstances. We're not meant to put our faith in our circumstances. We're actually meant to put our faith in Jesus, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And by putting our faith in Jesus and not circumstances, it's no roller coaster ride. We can be steadfast in our faith in Jesus despite our circumstances, providing we don't make the mistake of putting our faith in our circumstances. You might lose some money, but if you put your confidence in Jesus, you don't have to lose your confidence. You might lose some friends, but you don't have to lose your confidence. You might lose your job, but if you put your faith in Jesus and not circumstances, you don't have to lose your confidence. I was uh, listening to a podcast this week, and, um, and uh, the person being interviewed talked about a, a chap named Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas Willard, was, uh, he passed away recently, several months ago only. And he was a heavyweight in the, in, the, in the modern church, a heavyweight. He was a professor of theology and philosophy, and like, he was like smarter than God kind of thing. And he wrote, you know, pr- pr- um, prodigiously and uh, was just looked up to worldwide as this incredible thinker about church. But really, uh, when he was, uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he knew that uh, his, his time, you know, his days were numbered. And some of his good friends got to spend some, some time with him as, as his health continued to decline. And uh, one of them is a guy named John Ortberg, who's a church leader and author. And, and he was the, the person that was being interviewed in this podcast. And, just, and John Ortberg was, was, was just reflecting on his friend and mentor, Dallas Willard, and the impact that he'd, that he'd made. And the stuff that he bragged about, about Dallas Willard, wasn't the books that he'd written and the, and the seminary lessons he'd taught and the, the, the people he'd mentored, although that was all incredibly significant. What John Ortberg talked about in this podcast interview was that Dallas Willard's number one claim to fame is that he put his confidence in Jesus and his confidence in Jesus was unshakable. So much so, that John asked Dallas the question when he, when he was really uh, in his dying days, literally. He asked Dallas Willard the question, what, do you think, what are you thinking about when it comes to, to your death? Like now, what, what are you thinking about? You know, you, you, your days are numbered. What, what are you thinking about when it comes to your death? And this is what Dallas Willard 
said in response to that question. He said, one thing I think is going to happen to me when I die is that it's going to take me some time to realize it. The writer of Hebrews said that Jesus tasted death so we would never have to. Dallas Willard says, the thing I think is going to happen when I die is it's going to take me some time to realize it. (laughs) Because we never die. When you put your confidence in Jesus, we never die. It's called eternal life. Yeah, we pass from this earth to to another reality that's heaven, but, but it's just life continues. We've already started eternal life here. We didn't start eternal life when we died. We start eternal life when we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Death, where is your sting? Jesus tasted death so we wouldn't have to. (laughs) I love it. When I die, it's going to take me some time to realize it. (laughs) I think he might notice. Heaven doesn't have the nightly news. I don't watch the nightly news because it's directed by the devil. It's his PR exercise every night. I'm serious, I don't. And I I I recommend you don't either. It's just the nightly bad news. It's interesting that Paul wrote to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you, because actually just a few sentences before he wrote those words, this is what he wrote to Timothy, a verse that uh, might be sort of familiar to some of you. He said, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit of God doesn't make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. It seems that Paul uh, had gotten word that Timothy's confidence was in trouble. And he wrote to him, say, God's spirit hasn't given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and a love of self-discipline. And then went on to say, so guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. I think about it like this. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, and maybe, you know, boys in particular, you get this. And some of you who are dads get this. Learning to ride a bike. And, and like learning to ride a bike legitimately. That, that point in life where dad, you decide that it's time to take off Junior's training wheels. You know, he's been out there thinking he's all that and a bag of chips, but he's got training wheels on. You know, he's never going to crash apart from into a tree. Never going to fall over, fall over. No, nah, it's good. Take, but one day, you got Junior. I reckon it's time to go to a whole nother level here, buddy. We're taking off the training wheels. And it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, you can be pretty sure that Junior thinks he's mixed feelings about this particular threshold that he's about to go through. He thinks, yeah, that's pretty cool. Next step, big boy. Big boys don't have training wheels on. But then, you know, it'd be okay for Junior to be thinking, bloody hell, who's going to hold the bike up? <laughs> I ain't never done it. Been relying on those trainer wheels. So uh, you take Junior out to the front, a little, you know, footpath, whatever. And you put him on the bike, and, uh, and he grabs you. And you're like, no, no, Junior, it's not gonna, this, that's not going to work. You hold the bike. Okay. Just like before, you hold the bike. Junior's question is, yeah, but if I'm holding the bike, who's holding me? And to me, this is exactly a metaphor for how we walk through life. Junior... Don't have to worry about falling off his bike so long as dad's holding on to him, right? In fact, 
The good news for Junior is, Junior, you don't have to hold on to Dad because Dad's going to hold on to you. You just have to take next steps. You just have to pedal. The reason we can have confidence is that we're not holding on to God. See, if it was about how strong we were holding on to God, then it's about us and our strength, and our strength goes up and down. I'm glad that my life, my destiny, my calling is not based on me holding on to God. (laughs) I'm glad that, that my destiny, my calling, my purpose, and yours is the confidence, the knowledge, the assurance that God is holding on to you. And it's all about his strength and his conf- and, 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 and he ain't never going to let go. Point number three. Are we over the 20 minutes yet, Neil? Really? Doesn't feel like it to me. Number three, trusting and entrusted. The good thing about a three-point message is you actually know when it's probably coming into a sort of landing area. Well, theoretically, let's put that to the test. Trusting and entrusted. Earlier in this excerpt of this letter, Paul had written to Timothy, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Now, this is the focus of a lot of teaching. This is the focus of a lot of teaching in a lot of churches. And by the way, it's the focus of a lot of teaching here at Elevate Church, that we can trust God, that God is trustworthy. And when we get that revelation and grow in that revelation, that's how our faith grows. Our faith grows that we can trust God more and more and more. And Paul wrote that. That's important. I'm confident, convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him. It's interesting, though, that Paul then went on to say, or to write, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That there's, there's something else going on. It's not, just, it's not just about the fact that we can trust God. It's all the, also the fact that this good deposit that God's put in us, he's entrusted to us. If you've got a million bucks in cash lying around your house, I mean, by the way, invite me over if you have, but if you've got a million bucks in cash lying around your house, I recommend you don't store that in a shoebox under your mattress, okay? I recommend you put that million bucks in a very safe environment, right? Does that sound kind of like wise? Duh. The more valuable something is, the safer the environment is. The more trustworthy the environment is. In fact, the, the value of something directly correlates to the environment a wise person stores it in. Now, for example, if you have a Samsung phone, you can leave that on your bonnet and no one's going to touch it. Did I say Samsung? Sorry, sorry. I meant to say Samsung. Anyway. Um, it's been a while since I've had a cheap dig at those um, uh, copying mongrels. Um, 
Jeffrey. See, Jeff, Jeffrey likes this. He doesn't agree with it, but he likes it. Got to give something for everyone. The value of the deposit directly correlates to the value and the worth of the environment in which it's stored. And what I want to do right now, and what I, I want you to reflect on, see, when you have something of value, it's important to reappraise its value periodically. Right now, with this simple thought that God has entrusted to you a good deposit, let that, let that idea cause you right now to reappraise your value before God. If you learn nothing else today, if you go out of here with no other thought except this, that you are so valuable to God that he can entrust to you a good deposit. He doesn't think of you as a shoebox. He thinks of you as Fort Knox. And we live not in pursuit of having value, before God, we live in response to knowing that we have value to God. And we take that good deposit and we think, flip an egg. Even, by the way, sometimes God sees in us things that we don't see in ourselves, things that we can't even believe that God sees in us because we don't often think of ourselves as being trustworthy But then there's a second half to this sentence. I've just been preaching on the first half of this sentence only. There's a dash, a hyphen, oh, sorry, an hyphen. Marcella, an hyphen. You knew that. Smart English learning Colombian. And we're not to talk about the soccer, I understand. Um, Paul said this guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Beautiful thing is, they don't expect us to do it on our own. Dad's holding on to us. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Even at those times, and perhaps even especially at those times where you don't feel like you are worthy, you don't feel or see the value that God sees in you, pray about that right at that time. God, this thing you're calling me to, this deposit that you've put in me that you want me to act out in response to, to live out my purpose. My, I, I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't think I can do it. And God says, great. I didn't expect you to do it on your own. I want you to do it with the power of my Holy Spirit in you, the same power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You don't think you can do that? This Holy Spirit working in you is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Let the ruins come to life. That's an anthem for us this year. Speak life into those dry bones. Can you do anything about dry bones? No. Can God? Sure. He can do anything he wants. God. Appreciate the value. Appreciate the, 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 the good deposit. Know that it makes us vulnerable. Yes. Don't put our trust in circumstances. Put your confidence in God. Absolutely. And know that God has entrusted us to do something with that because with his Holy Spirit working in us. 
we can do what he's called us to do. And that is how you end a three-point sermon, by revising the three points, right? Thank you very much. <laughs> that was probably the last time you're ever going to hear a three-point sermon, unless Neil decides to turn 60 again. By the way, 60 is the new 40, Neil, so you're only at the halfway point. And by the way, I do legitimately mean that. I think God, God's going to show you so much more <clears throat> in the next 20, 30 years than you've seen in the last 50. And that's not poo-pooing the last 50. It's saying that we're going to spend most of our time creating the future, not protecting the past. And uh, there's even more dreams that you've locked in your heart, that you've guarded, good deposit, that you've guarded. And, uh, and they're not, they're not fan, fan, fan fantasies. Oh, some fancy word I was trying to work out there. Um, they're, they're promises. They're promises. And, uh, and, and by the way, we'll all get to see them as well. Hey, you know what? Some of you, maybe the, the best thing you can do today, the best decision you can actually make is about putting your confidence in Jesus for the very first time. Most of you have done that, I know, which is great. I made the decision to put my confidence in Jesus when I was 21. If you've never made that decision to put your confidence in Jesus, we're going to give you that opportunity right here, right now. We don't like to leave this place without you having that opportunity to make that decision. Jesus, I want to put my confidence in you. I want to follow you. I want to make you the Lord of my life, give you control. If you've never made that decision right here, right now, I want to give you that opportunity. All I'm going to ask is in a moment, for those of you that have never made that decision and you need to make that decision this morning, just put your hand up. Say, yep, that's me. That's my decision today. I'm putting my confidence in Jesus. When I see your hand, you can put it down. You're not really flashing the hand to me. It's actually more like, hey, God, me, here, I'm making that decision today, putting my confidence in Jesus. And when I've seen your hand, put it down. We're just going to pray all together. So before we leave today, for those of you that have never made that decision to put your confidence in Jesus Make that decision right now. Put your hand up. You say, yeah, that's me. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. I don't want to miss anybody. I think I might have just missed somebody. Sorry, if you've just put your hand up, can you just quickly put it up again and so I can see it? Uh, have Awesome. Great. Thank, yeah, fantastic. Sorry. I only got 10, 20 vision. <clears throat> Thank God for team members at the back with long arms. Fantastic. We saw one person lift the hand, and we're going to pray like a promise. Let's pray. Say these words after me, especially that person that lifted their hand, but let's all say this because we're in this together. We're all in together. Dear Jesus, today I decide to put my confidence in you, not in circumstances, to follow you, to trust you from this day for the rest of my life. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me a brand new start. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. How about we celebrate with that person that lifted their hand? Absolutely brilliant. I'm really glad I didn't miss you there. That was fantastic. Hey, listen, uh, that's the end of this, uh, this uh, conversation we've been having here and, and in our Elevate groups and around and about called I Don't Know What I Believe strongly encourage you if you missed one of these we've got the podcasts there for you to go back and listen they've been very intentionally six foundational truths 
Every one of them's actually been designed to reframe maybe some of the things that we've been taught if you've grown up in church world or maybe this, some of the rubbish that we've believed over the years. Go back and listen to them. Uh, none of them except today are three-point sermons. You'll be happy to know. Next week, uh, we get to start a brand new conversation called This Is Your Permission Slip.